Welcome to the Daily Boogie. And everyone, Chris McDonald with the Mac Miles broadcast. We are so honored to have our buddy down under the Mister One and Only Boogie Bumper, and um, we've got we were just having a little light moment before we came on, like we always do. It's good to see you, my friend. How's things going under the ocean there and uh, under the bridge in Australia? You buddy, mate. How are you, buddy? I'm brilliant. Thanks for having me on again, Chris. Hi to everyone in the audience. Thanks for joining us. It's a absolute pleasure. We don't do this often enough. Um, I think we it's don't. because I think it's because when you get this when you get this much brilliance together in one room, Chris, there's no t- <laughs> <laughs> not to mention handsome, not to mention witty, but when you get this much perfection together in one room, who's 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 to say which country will experience an earthquake after this after this interview? You know, I, I, I'm with you there, and I, I might as well go ahead and tell the audience what I told Boogie. We were <laughs> trying to get together today on the show, and I said. Uh, what we're going to talk about. And we were talking about some topics and I said, we need to talk about why we're not good looking, why we're not rich and why we're not smart. And I said, Boogie was smart enough to put himself in the dark. Chris <laughs> is dumb enough to stay in the light and show everybody how good looking we are, not good looking we are. So uh, Boogie's <laughs> smart on in doing the dark thing. So, so I've got uh, one of them. I've got one of them. Next will be rich. Next will be rich. <laughs> and be, and because, I'm, be, because I'm smart, I never show my face. Therefore, no one can ever call me ugly. So then I can win on all three, right? I can just assume I'm good looking. Three. That's right, Boogie. I yeah. didn't think about that. So uh, that's good, buddy. <laughs> Me and Boogie had an adventure on election night. That's the last time we got together. And we yeah. tried our damn best to, to make that work. And it just did. We tried. We were going to have Boogie on for the 9 o'clock hour. And it just... It didn't work out too good, so that's why we're glad to have him today. We're going to try to get him more often. I know with his work schedule, it's hard sometimes, but we're just glad to have this man. He's a patriot. I love his show. I love him and James are, and uh, they have done a lot for me. And um, I just uh, appreciate everybody like Boogie and James that have uh, inputted into the Mac files and different things, and um, we, we just uh, really appreciate it. Boogie, I want to uh, start off um, – with something that our audience of, uh, and you know, when we were just talking pre-show, when we we're doing our pre-stuff, getting together for what we're going to discuss, uh, you said a lot of things just in the few minutes that I was not aware of about France, and that's sort of the big world story right now. Um, Macron is continuing to uh, do his best to embarrass himself on the world stage. He tries to embarrass Trump. Uh, say ugly things about him and uh, backstab him, and then he winds up having an approval rating of twelve. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, look, Chris could go. <laughs> Chris could go over there and take a poll and put Chris on the ballot, and you get twelve percent of the people to say, "Hey, I love Chris McDonald, man. That's pretty bad." I mean, that's really <laughs> I mean, bad. It's it's arguable, Chris, that during the French Revolution, after the left had stormed the Bastille and released the prisoners. Uh, when they went to the palace and got King Louis and then beheaded him, it's arguable even whilst the crowd was baying for royal blood that he had a higher approval rating than Emmanuel Macron does right now. <laughs> it's arguable. <laughs> That's why I bring you on the show, man. That's why I bring you on the show for comic 
material and smartness. That's good. <laughs> That's probably the truth. <laughs> well, like, you so, know what I'm going to do? I think I'm going to find a picture of Louie and put it on the asshole of with a week and put Macron's picture by it and then put underneath more favorable than Macron and have Where's Kathy Griffin when you need her holding up Louis the 14th header? Now we're talking. <laughs> you know? Now we're talking. <laughs> now it's a, that's right. We need to get Kathy Griffin to hold up his head. She's yeah. good at doing that of holding world leaders' heads up. Absolutely. Uh, listen, I but I do want you to explain the dynamics of this boogie because I think it it speaks to um, and I'm glad what you said to me because you said basically you said this is a warning shot across the ocean to us here in America about what could happen and the death of populism if we're not careful and how a lot of candidates say one thing but deep down in their heart they do not embrace the populism that is overtaking Europe and. Really, it's been overtaking America since 2016, even though we had a slight hiccup in the midterms. But I still think it's still going to be the wave of the future. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like when I say it's a warning shot to America, now that may be taken a, a different way by various people. As you know, Chris, a lot of people have made the suggestion that, uh, you know, discussion about tax increases and fuel prices and whatnot, that's a fake story. You know, this is this is the, the argument put forward. Uh, that's a fake story. It's got nothing to do with that. This is all about the French embracing uh, nationalism. This is all about the French embracing, you know, the MAGA spirit. Now, that that an element of truth might exist in that, but I'm here to tell you that that's, you know, to just wholly dismiss like the taxation and the gas prices and stuff is a fairly shallow way of looking at it. The reason I say it's a warning shot is because this is what this is what happens when populism is hijacked successfully. And, you know, just to add another layer onto that, um, you'll see people looking at the protests and looking at footage and whatnot, and they'll say, well, look, look at this person here. This is clearly somebody from Antifa. Therefore, this is an Antifa protest. But uh, who here wouldn't say that? Let's take an American example, Chris, from Charlottesville. Are we? Are we? Are, are we? Are we now saying that a hundred percent of people at Charlottesville were not uh, implanted? Like there weren't people planted into that crowd in order for while the cameras are rolling to portray a certain you know public image of the protest to the world media, which are you know the same things happening over there in Paris now. So I would just ask people respectfully to hold their fire. Just because you see one person who may look like Antifa in a rally or in a protest right. doesn't mean that the whole protest is Antifa. I mean, if I'm smart, Chris, if I'm at an Antifa rally and if, if I had the you know the wherewithal and the ability to do so, I would absolutely be looking for opportunities to plant things in Antifa rallies when the cameras are rolling mm. in order to paint Antifa in a bad light. That's just smart optics. That's smart PR in the activism game. It happens all the time. So. So this Macron, now let's, we, we cast our mind back. Macron was running against the quote-unquote far-right nationalist, Chris, Marine Le Pen. Now, to call Marine Le Pen instantly is, you know, is kind of a political faux pas because her, 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 her economic policies were more in line with uh, the left than they are with, you know, the quote-unquote far-right. She's, she's far from a libertarian. She's far from the school of Austrian economics. She wanted more spending on welfare these kinds of things. What Macron was able to successfully do, you have to cast your mind back to the previous government and the previous president, a guy named Francois Hollande. Now, he was in charge when the Paris massacres occurred from the jihadis, 
and he was the you know the, the the head of the socialist party in France that got absolutely eviscerated in that election between Macron and Marine Le Pen. Socialism was on the nose. Now this is true for a lot of Western European nations. The socialists have been decimated in France. They've been decimated in Germany. They've been decimated in Italy. They've been decimated in Sweden. Actually, the only places where the socialists appear to be gaining ground is in places like the UK, America, and unfortunately, Australia. So I wonder what's going on in the Anglosphere. If somebody is able to successfully hijack populism by saying the right things and proposing the right things and presenting themselves as the alternative to the alternative, then this is what happens and you can get an Emmanuel Macron in. Now, I would be looking, if I was a Republican in the United States, for a similar thing to happen. I've been saying this for about a month or two, Chris. You know, you've heard me say it. I'm no longer concerned about the smooth talking politician taking over the Democrat party. I'm worried about the guy who speaks middle-class language and speaks to nationalist values, who speaks to, uh, would you say, not, not conservative values, but definitely middle-class working class values. And in that language, Macron was, believe it or not, was actually able to do that despite coming from, you know, an investment banking elitist background. What has happened now is most people don't understand this about France is they have the highest taxation in the Western world. And if you think about other countries with high taxation, you might think of Denmark, you might think of Sweden, countries like this where the middle class can pay, you know, 50, 60%. People in France are actually paying more. So whilst the, whilst the riots might not just be about taxes, this is the icing on the cake. This is the, the straw that breaks the camel's back, Chris. When you yeah. consider, you know, the high immigration, when you consider the broken promises of the Macron government, uh, I put out a tweet the other day saying this is what happens. Like, he, here's an argument for you against the Democrats. This is a free one. I'm not charging for this, for this advice. You can take it right now and use it. People on the left and specifically the Democrats in America, Chris, you know this as well as I do, they talk about things like wanting action on climate change. Now, that's a bumper sticker. That's not an argument. That's not a policy. That's not a political position. That's a bumper sticker. Action on climate change. Nobody really knows what action on climate change actually is. See, that's the trick. You can sell the bumper sticker and not the reality. The French people are now living through the reality. Gas, gas taxes, um, they, they live over there under a carbon tax, Chris. So that means companies have to pay money to the government in order to make things, to produce things, to sell the, to the consumer. What you'll hear from people like the Democrats and the left in Europe is, well, we're only charging the rich companies for the damage that they're doing to the population. Anybody who has, you know, even one skerrick of understanding of how markets work knows that the, ultimately that price is going to be paid by the end user. That's you and me. So if, 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 the company, if the company has to pay high taxes to make a tin of tomatoes, they are going to charge us, the people who buy the tin of tomatoes, maybe two cents a can or five cents a can. And then when you buy new tires, you'll be paying you know an extra $10 for a set of new tires. And you think, well, it's not that much. And then you'll be paying an extra 10 or 15% on your fuel prices. What if you run a trucking company? 
Imagine the fuel, the amount of fuel that you have to burn. Now, if you're running a trucking company, what are you doing? You're moving goods from one place to another. Now, if you have to pay more for your fuel, you're going to have to pay more for your trucking. If you have to pay more for your trucking, the people who are trying to get the goods from one place to another are going to have to pay more for the privilege. And when they pay more for the privilege, they're going to have to charge more at the supermarket for the stuff that they sell because it costs more to get it from one place to another because of the gas tax. Now, that's why the people are rioting, because the cost of living is going up and the government is Slugging the very people who are paying the pollution taxes, the rich taxes, the middle welfare taxes. They're paying all of these taxes in the most heavily taxed uh, country in Western Europe, and the Macron government doesn't know where to stop. That's why they're riding. It's not just because of a tax fuel hike. You have to calculate everything else into it. They are paying more for everything not just fuel, but for everything that they buy, everything that they eat, everything that they want to buy, every taxi trip, every every truck trip, every bus, every plane ticket, everything goes up and it all, all boils down to we need action on climate change. That's what it looks like and that's what it really costs. And Boogie, it was a great explanation. And look, supply-side economics – Everything is about cost and demand, buddy, and everything's about your bottom line. And as you said, if these business people and uh, any business has to pay more to get the goods and the services produced, it's going to it's going to affect us all. And no wonder uh, these protests are breaking out. And I think, too, what's going on with Macron is that, you know, uh, Boogie, people are sick. They look at Macron and they look at his policies and they look at his attitude and they look at this um some of the statements that he's made. I mean, you know, basically saying populism was a form of Nazism and populism yep. was yep. a was a betrayal, you know, of the uh, world order. Hell, he was mimicking George H.W. Bush, you know, with this new world order stuff. And um, it's just unreal. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, having a moment there. But it's it's incredible that these protests have not started sooner to me that it's taken France this long and they are always late to the party. I mean, they always let their country go downhill. I look back over uh, Mitterrand and Chirac uh, and they've just had this long list of leaders over the last decade to tw- uh, 15 years that they, you know, they, that seems to be the what what they want. And I guess that speaks to the people, Boogie. They've got to be tired of this. And I think we're beginning to see a stirring that sure. the French people are tired of it. And, you know, just like, People were tired here in America when we elected Donald Trump. And, um, you know, and then you, you again, what happens is cycle. It's it's cyclic because we wound up, you know, putting the Democrats back in power in 2018, back in November to the House, even though the Republicans gained seats in the Senate. So you never know about the voters. But I do sense a, a sentiment in France that's about to spread over Europe. And Italy is experiencing it. Uh, Brazil. South America, man, their their new president, Trump. Well, the, Trump that's man. that's the thing, Chris. It's already spread. You know, it's it's yeah. it's getting to the party late in France, and exactly. you know, that's right. That's what I mean. Yeah. And this is this is why I want to you know again uh, respectfully warn people off saying, well, this is all about MAGA or this is an Antifa riot or something like that. It's far more nuanced than that. If if you if somebody you know like me say a foreigner came in and said, oh, the MAGA thing was all about racism you would be understandably uh, upset and you would do your best to explain to me all of the economic factors and the social factors and everything that led into 
what happened in 2016. And the same thing applies in France. It's not just, you know, it's, it is about a fuel tax, but it's not about a fuel tax. It is about nationalism, but it's not about nationalism, if that makes any sense whatsoever. And the thing, like I said, you know, we've got to be careful now. We've got to brace ourselves. This, this is a perfect thing to present to Democrat voters in the United States, Chris. When you are confronted with this form of populism that we have warned you about, that is fake, that is phony, that is paper thin, this is what you're going to have. This is going to be the result. You are not going to like the things that you say you want to vote for. If you want action on climate change, you better get used to eating dirt because that's what you're going to be forced to do. The elites will use the high taxation to uh, buttress, buttress the international bankers. This is what Macron is here to do. He's leveraging the uh, the euro, Chris. He is taking money from the middle class and redistributing around his wealthy benefactors in other parts of Europe. This is what's happening, and this is what will happen if you embrace, you know, this kind of phony populism. Which saying the right thing, you've got to drill down. You've got to you've got to get into the actual meat of the story. See, you can look at Donald Trump and people say, well, how do we know Donald Trump isn't a fake populist? And it's like, well, it's easy. Everything that he's done so far has been yeah. to the detriment of the international bankers. Uh, why do you think the world leaders, why do you think the IMF, why do you think all of these bodies that deal in the kinds of policies that Macron has, why do you think they've all come out and denounced him? Why? Because he's really good? You know, because they, he's doing the right thing for it? No, they're terrified. They're horrified that this could happen. They don't want it to happen again. And that's, and you know, that's partly why we have the Mueller investigation. This is partly why you have the war on Trump in the press is because they have to put a stop to this thing in the most powerful country right now. They can't allow it to spread. They can't, they can't, they can't legitimize what's happening in Europe with Donald Trump. Do you see what I'm saying here? Because right. he, he, he gives them an air of legitimacy. What's happening now? People can say, Oh, well the, the French, uh, you said uh, they don't riot enough. They let things go. I, I do have to push back on a little bit. The French do have a tendency to riot every couple of years or so. It's just that we never hear about it and it's not as big. Well, they are French. They are French. They are they, French. They, they, they get upset. <laughs> if if you'll remember, I think, I, think um, I can't remember the name of the president, but I believe these riots were back in 2005 and 2006, and it was big news then. That. And it was actually yeah. the uh, Islamic and North African youths who were burning down Paris on that occasion, you'll remember. Because yeah. why? Not enough welfare spending. We aren't getting enough money. We deserve more. Uh, we're going broke out here. We're not getting enough from the government. The government needs to do more to help us. So let's go over and flip a few cars. Fast forward to, uh, you know, <laughs> fast forward 13, 14 years later. Now the other people are out there writing saying you're taking too much of our money. Be careful what you're voting for. People who vote Democrat, this is what you're going to have. This is where it ends up. And at the last minute, when you're confronted with, you know, some evil nationalist, some far right candidate, some guy from the establishment who wants your money, he wants to send you broke. He wants you to pay for everything else. He wants you to pay for his rich friends. He's going to come in and say, well, you know, the, the, the main problem with nationalism is, is, too, is, is the opposite of patriotism. We believe in reforming the, you know, the immigration problems. This is very bad. But, but, but ultimately, we are here to represent all of France. All of France will love me. You know, I represent the small guys, the little guys. And they'll go, oh, my God, we need him. We need him in the White House. Three years later, yeah. You're going to be burning the local police uh, police station down in rage. That's right. That's right. 
Good point, my friend. Good point. But you know, we again, we were we had tried to get together on election night, uh, and uh, Periscope was going crazy on us. But I do want to ask you, since we hadn't talked since then, what do you think were some of the factors that led to the American public, at least, at least for now? I'll just leave it at that because this December twenty second voter fraud report may ultimately be the death knell of the Democrats. Uh, I think rumor has it there's about 20 graveyards that are missing people from their <laughs> graves right now <laughs> that have been seen and spotted around poles uh, across America still. Um, and I, I understand that even uh, uh, the Lindbergh baby was showed up somewhere and voted. Uh, I think uh, uh, there's been all sorts of people, you know, uh, that <laughs> man. But I'm just serious. I mean, Jimmy I'm Hoffa. being real here. Jimmy Hoffa loves the Democrats. Yeah, Jimmy Hoffa, yeah, that's another one I was thinking about. Who's missing? Yeah, Jimmy Hoffa voted about 60 times, I understand, in the state of Illinois and uh, Florida. And Brenda Snipes, I think she had about 16 I voted stickers on her body. And, uh, you know, she tried to remove them. But I'm serious, though. On a serious note, I'm trying to be serious. It's hard with you, Boogie. Um, but um, what do you think happened? Uh, November the eighth uh, this year uh, with okay. America and the turnover of the House. I I know there's a lot of factors. I know that 41 retirements in the Republican side didn't help matters because that was tough. That was tough to overcome. Sure. But uh, I think there was more going on than that. And I don't think it was a backlash against Trump. I think it was something else. I think that some of these Republicans just didn't get out and campaign boogie. And I think a lot of the a lot of the deep state Republicans, the rhinos, got flushed down the toilet. I think it was somewhat a mini revolt against them. Yeah, you could be right. I mean, you're definitely right in, you know, there were many factors. If you just take the the 40, see, the, uh, I guess what we're, what we're trying to figure out here is we know that there are many factors. We know that there were many variables, but which factors were the, the, the important ones? Which, which are the ones that we can correct? Which are the ones that we can look at and say, right, we understand that factor. Now we can work about fixing it. So with the, with the incumbents retiring, I'm not sure how you fix that unless you chain them to the seat on Capitol Hill, <laughs> you know, um, nice. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately people are still right to retire. Uh, but yeah, that's true. You, you know, just, just with that, for example, everybody knows that it's much more difficult to win an election when you're facing an incumbent. Like it's just, it's just a statistical truth. I think, you know, most, uh, elections over overwhelmingly in Australia, at least, you know, if the incumbent is sitting, see, there's an old, there's an old line, isn't there? Um, you know, the incumbent doesn't win. Yeah, the, sorry, the the person running against an incumbent doesn't win. The incumbent loses. So it's much more difficult to get thrown out if you're the incumbent. So obviously, right. if you've got if you've got forty one seats, what did the Democrats end up with? Plus thirty six. Plus thirty six. Yeah, it's it's really weird, and it's almost to the number. And that was the weird thing. And again, uh, a lot of these retirements hit in states that were sort of. Swinging, somewhat blue, but they wasn't some. They wasn't great, you know. wasn't yep. deep red country too. Again, where a lot of these Republican seats went down. Yeah. Uh, and again, <clears throat> Boogie, I've always said this, and I'll say it to you. And I think we even mentioned this on on election night. Republicans are going to have to to get smart, Boogie, and put candidates out there that have got a brain and they've got heart and and not necessarily just knowledge because i think a lot of times this regurgitation of the same talking points <clears throat> it hurts us on the right just like we think it hurts them on the left mm-hmm. you know i hear that complaint all the time from people well the left just regurgitates the same things well we do too we just say the same things like parrots over and over and over people get tired of that boogie 
They want to see somebody that's not reading off a monitor, man. They want to see somebody with some heart. They sure. want to see somebody screaming. They want to see somebody throwing a damn chair. They wow. want to see somebody stomping and beating a podium and 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 fight and show some fight in them and care about not giving a you-know-what whether the press is pissed off or they're not. They don't well, care about stuff like just, that. Just to that point, Chris, just to that point, and I'll give you a moment to reflect here, do you still think that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is really stupid? Uh, now, um, hang on. Now, now politically. Now, hang on. <laughs> well, okay. Well, let, hear me out here now. <laughs> so Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez may have a very low understanding of, you know, civic duty and the machinations of government. But if you want somebody that's passionate and doesn't care what the media says about them, here's your perfect Great example. Point. Now, more Great than point, that. Boogie. Everybody everybody applauds Donald Trump's use of social media. Now, how many Republicans are, are aware that almost on any night of the week, you can talk to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez either through her Instagram account or a Facebook Live, and she'll be standing in her kitchen making dinner, talking to her constituents. She is taking the Trump uh, method of communication, direct communication, to the next level. We now live in a society, Chris, where people Great expect, point. expect, you know, intrusive they want to get at you 24 hours a day alexandria ocasio or uh, cortez gives that to them she is there on call when you know and you know you can go on there and troll her you can say and i agree that she really doesn't understand much about politics but that didn't stop her getting elected she obviously no. knows she obviously knows how to be popular and you know, well, we you can know, we can wrap right back around again to you know the look out for the fake populist, look out for the populist that you know is popular so, by, right? So you know we can say uh, just on voter fraud too. You said the twenty second December report may sink the Democrats. I, again, I would just respectfully say don't pin don't pin not, your hopes, don't pin your hopes don't on, pin a, your on a report. No, I'm not. No, as a veteran of uh, you know Australian politics, where I've seen literally golf courses voting for the left here. Like that was a that was a, a report that came out about 12, 13 years ago. We had golf courses, Chris. You know, it might be the St. John's Golf Course of Canberra. They voted for the Labor Party, right? That's right. So, and, you know, everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. Um, but, you know, voter fraud could have been a factor. Well, I would say it, it definitely is a factor, but it, it depends. It could be like 0.001% or it could be 50%. I don't know. Or somewhere in between. But, you know, addressing that's going to be a problem because uh, apparently politicians really like the fact that they don't have to, um, you know, police voter fraud. They don't have to charge people with voter fraud and they don't have to present the reality to the voting public that, hey, there's fraud is rife. No politician wants to make that announcement that fraud is rife, whether they're on the Democrat side or the Republican side. Why? Because then they have to do something about it and they don't want to do something about it because sometimes it favours them. So, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's, it's, kind, it's the kind of thing like, you know, you really hate your car, but, you know, you really wish you had another car and you'd love to tell everybody, like, how crappy your car is, but you still need it to get to work in the morning. You know, you're not going to burn it in your driveway just because, just because it's a crappy car. Well, it's the best car I got. So, off you go. So, I would, I would yeah. worry about, you know, don't just dispense with expectation. If, if, you, if you're expecting, you know, the 22nd of December report to come out, I mean, what have we seen so far? You know, we've seen three people in Texas, Chris, get uh, charged with, you know, filling out phony ballots. We've seen about five people in California. How many people live in Los Angeles? 20 million? Five people. Right. 
five people. Not 500, not 5,000, not 500,000, five. Uh, this is what we've been treated to so far. And there's actually a Republican in North Carolina who looks like he's going to be on the hook for voter fraud himself, which is interesting right. as well. Right. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, and it's impossible. How, how could you possibly uh, come to the conclusion that every seat was flipped due to voter fraud unless the Trump administration physically had somebody there watching every single count in the country? Logistically, it's impossible. It's impossible to do. So, you know, solutions, I don't really do solutions. I do problems. But that's the problem with pinning your hopes on the 22nd of December, you know, voter fraud. I mean, if, if Mueller can investigate, you know, phony Russians for two and a half years, Chris, then why does it, why does it only take four months to come up with a voter fraud report when, when there's, you know, 320 million plus change people in the country? That doesn't make much sense either, does it? Like, sounds like they, sounds like they're racing through it pretty quickly. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent analysis there, Boogie. And, I, and I'm going to tell you uh, two things. Uh, quite frankly, uh, Frank V was on our show the other night and we talked about Cortez and he told me it was a crazy thing. That district up there of hers had 100,000 people in it. That's a lot. I mean, that's mm. a lot of people in a district. And um, he said that, you know, it wasn't even close. I mean, the general wasn't even close, man, yep. uh, that she won up there. And I'm so glad you brought that up about her popularity. And, and Boogie, that's what my point is. The Republicans have got to get smart. Yes. Uh, I may have yes. shared this story on this show with you or may have shared it on another show. I got an uncle in North Georgia, and I love him to death. And um, he told me the funniest story about popularity and just what really it gets down to when these votes get counted. And whether we want to like it or not, and we can we can be mechanical and we can talk and read the, the policies and be, uh, you know, robots and read policy one through 25. And boy, this is what the American people want to hear. This is what they're going to get if they elect me. Or <laughs> you can you can be uh, Arcacia Cortez and take it to the people and again, be the dumbest br- brick on the block and, and win. But um, my uncle is a great guy and he ran a very populous campaign. He was talking to the people in the coffee shops, the barber shops, the cafes, the restaurants, the gas stations, over and over and over. He's running for city camp commissioner mm-hmm. and um, county commissioner. And uh, all of his uh, polls were indicating the race was pretty pretty even. You know, he didn't think he was leading or behind by much either way, but he knew it was going to be a fight right up to election day. And uh, he, the night of the election, he gets beat 76 to wow. 24. Wow. And he was wondering what in the hell happened. And come to find out, come to find out, his opponent, he was going around knocking on doors. He was giving out beer and cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not making this up, Boogie. I'm telling you. I might vote for that guy. I would vote for him. You can only stand like 100, (laughs) you can only stand 100 feet from the voting place. You know, you can't stand within 100 to 300 feet. He had his people in a 300-foot circus of, or circular of the uh, voting booth. And as people were coming up, vote for John Smith. Here, have a cigarette. Here, have a Bud Light, man. And they would be having <laughs> a cigarette. So I told my uncle, I said, listen, next time you run for office, get your nephew. Because I'll be damned if they're going to do that to you again. We're going to pass it. out that beer and cigarettes ourselves. We're going to do something else, you know. But um, – <laughs> That taught me everything I needed to know about politics well, right there, Boogie. And see, there you go. Like, you know, 
you now see people might say, oh, that's really dumb, but maybe he really understands his constituency. And the same thing can be yeah. said about Ocasio-Cortez, right? You might say, oh, that's really dumb, standing in your kitchen, making dinner, talking about giving free healthcare away, but she really understands her constituency. That's why you get elected, right? Because you understand the people who are voting, not what they're voting. You know, you can understand you can understand why they should vote for you, or you can understand what they want. It's two totally different so, things. Oh, it's absolutely boogie. And you know, I think that's why Ron DeSantis almost got beat by Gilliam. He was just like that. And 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 Cruz. Let me mention something to you. I'm gonna run this by you and just give you give this to you as a thought. Everybody in the world, if you think about it, we did not know about Barack Obama at all as going into the 2008 election campaign season. He was off the radar. His name was not being brought up for anything considering the presidency. It was all about Hillary. The only thing that Barack Obama had done up to that point of any consequence was speak at the 2004 Democratic National Convention for John Kerry. Okay. And he had been this no-name state senator from Illinois. And then, boom, he comes out. And again, he touches something in the country. He's black, charismatic, young. And before you know it, he has beat Hillary Clinton and John McCain, and he becomes our 44th president. That's what scares the hell out of me, Boogie, about Beto Mm O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke is Acacia-Cortez in pants. Yes. But his appeal is touching the young people. This guy is as Barack Obama ish as you can get, if not worse. Look, he met with Obama this week, and Obama's his mentor. And I'm telling you something we would do wise not to underestimate him come 2020 because there's rumblings. And a lot of these mainstream, even on the Democratic side, politicians are taking note that they may not be the thing. That, that they can win with in 2020. But right. you take a Beret, Beto O'Rourke and you take somebody like that boogie that gets out there and just promises the world to the country. Bernie Sanders, I mean, walking around, man, I'm going to tell you something, we'd be wise not to underestimate him. And I know people are laughing. I can almost see the chat room, you know, going off with laughter and say, oh, that'll never happen, never happen. Uh, boogie, we didn't think Barack Obama would ever happen. And he mm-hmm. happened twice. Because right. I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember hearing about Barack Obama until 2008. I had one person in Knoxville, it was a minister, call me up. And he told me a year before all this happened, Barack Obama, he said, you keep your eye on this guy. He's dangerous. He's evil. But he's got a way that he's touching the people. He said, I, and he was a black minister. He's and effective. he said, he's dangerous. He's and effective. he warned me, Boogie. And I think it's the same thing with Beto O'Rourke. Mm. He's effective. That's, that's yes. what you got to worry about. You know, I've, I've made this point before, Chris, to different people. You have to dispense with what you personally think of is good or bad, right and wrong, uh, evil and virtuous even. Unfortunately, the cold, brutal reality of politics is it all comes down to are you effective or ineffective? Now, <clears throat> we've made this joke before. Jesus Christ could have been getting nominated for the Supreme Court, Chris. Right? That's right, and they and they would have right. been saying they would have been saying he's a terrible son. He ran away from his mother and left her in a barn. Uh, you yeah. know, <clears throat> he led he led people around the desert. Uh, he he was a cult leader, right? So it does. That's what it, they would have, exactly. That's what they yeah, exactly. Boogie. It doesn't matter because whether you're right, wrong, good or bad, all that matters is being effective or not. 
Now, this, see, the, the Alexandria Casio cortez she's incredibly effective. Now, we can look at her and say her ideas are terrible. We can uh, listen to her speak and say she's a dimwit, but that doesn't mean that she's not going to get voted in. We can do the same thing with Beto O'Rourke. So then the battle becomes, okay, twofold. How do we get more effective and how do we render our opponents ineffective? And, you know, this is, this is the thing that strategists would sit down and, and discuss for months on end. Like, how, how can we render our opponent's strategy ineffective? Because, they again, and you, you know, it might be lying about them. That this is where muckraking comes in. You know, you've, <clears throat> political muckraking is famous. The Clintons made it into an art form, lying about people. This brings, into, this brings into another aspect of the discussion, Chris, social media censorship. And <clears throat> pardon me, just one sec. Um, so... Your opponents in this battle that, that's been going since before you were born and will continue after you're gone, uh, you know, when you're in the good graces of God, they understand the long game better than we do. We don't understand the long game. We tend to look at our direct actions. I mean, it's, it's, probably, it's probably a curse of the philosophy that's laden into us. We look at our direct actions and think, okay, I did a good thing here. Therefore, uh, I'm going to win and, you know, people are going to vote for me. But our opponents don't view things like that. They view things in the long game and they view things in terms of effectiveness. So now I know a lot of people who probably in this chat right now don't uh, like, you know, a guy named Alex Jones very much. And that's that's fine. You don't have to like him. But think about what I'm telling you about effectiveness here. During the 2016 election campaign, Alex Jones was averaging 90 million viewers per week. Per week. Now. You can say, well, you know, he's crazy and he says all these things. But what you don't realize is that in in the period of a three-hour television program that Alex Jones does, he might say one sentence or put out one buzzword or create one meme that you will be repeating a week later without even knowing where its original source came from. And that's the power, um, you know, of effectiveness. So it doesn't make me surprised at all that Alex Jones would be... Whoosh, banned, cut off, taken off the internet. Now, if you consider censorship in the long-term game, everything's about the president. The presidency is the most important uh, house. You know, people can say, oh, the Senate's the most important. Nobody says the Congress is most important, but the presidency is the most important. Let me tell you why. Look at what Barack Obama was able to do without having either house underneath him. He was still able to make fundamental right. radical changes. The Democrats right. know this. If Donald Trump didn't, doesn't understand that everything he does should be geared toward re-election in 2020, then the left are right and he is dumb. And I don't think he's dumb. So I think he is gearing everything towards right. 2020. So when you consider this, now, social Donald Trump revolutionized campaigning in terms of social media, correct? The Democrats understand this. Then comes the social media squeeze campaign by the big tech valley boffins. It starts with Alex Jones, who people may think is crazy, but he does get uh, messages filtering out into the public. And when you've got 90 million people a week watching you, it's hard not to. He's the first to go. Then you start trimming around the edges. You start getting rid of these people. But what you do is normalize a certain kind of behavior in social media. We had the CEO Tim Cook, uh, two days ago, Chris, getting an award from, I believe it was the ADL, the American Defense League, and he was getting an award saying that not, not banning people off social media is a sin. <clears throat> we need to ban these people. Wow. Now, now, think about it, though. Here's what I'm telling you. You say Republicans need to get smarter. 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a fine example. She is utilising social media. She's cooking in her kitchen. She's interacting with people. Her ideas may be rubbish, but she's incredibly effective. How are you going to match the new reality that the Democrats have already figured out that Donald Trump's power was in social media? Now, let's take it to the next level. Let's utilise that power. And by the way, let's clear the road of all of the other effective people in social media so we can be the only ones on it. That's that's the long term right. game. They weren't worried about 2018. They they are geared towards 2020. I wouldn't be surprised if you know three months before the 20 uh, 20 campaign comes to an end, Chris, that you will barely see any kind of influencer on the conservative side on social media. But you will see uh, not just Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Beto O'Rourke will be hosting a Periscope once a week. He'll be sitting there on his back patio taking questions from people and everyone will be saying, oh, my God, he's so personable. Yeah. He's letting us into his life. This is one. This is yeah. the Democrat we've been waiting for. They'll all be doing it. They're, they'll all be doing it. And the ones that don't will be, get, will be getting left behind. So Republicans, unfortunately, the reality of social media is going to be very difficult because, you know, the odds are against you. But just because the odds are against you doesn't mean you can't win sometimes. So it's about developing a strategy to make theirs ineffective, but you also have to come up with a way to match what they're doing. It doesn't mean standing in your kitchen answering questions on Periscope. It might mean something else. But that, this is the way we've got to think in the fourth dimension. Like not just shaking hands. You got to. You still got to shake hands, Chris. Don't get me wrong. Here's here's a here's a stat to keep your viewers up late at night, Chris. Uh, between 2016 and 2020, uh, there will be 10 million people in America who die. The most of them, most of them, will be older generation Republican voters. In the same time frame, 16 million new people will become voters, and most of them are going to be voting Democrat. Wow. Yeah, that keeps me up at night, Boogie. That does. Yep. That that's 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 a very solemn figure. Um, and look, I I just think we at our peril mock the Beta O'Rourke's and Arcacia Cortez. Look, I mock her every day. I think she's the most idiotic, stupid cabbage for brains. That's you can you can do that, but this world. is what I'm saying. Just it's it's about but, the method, right? Uh, look at the, the method, method. right? And, and yeah. Boogie, but we can't even answer. I don't know if it's an, maybe it's not a, nothing but an act. Maybe deep down, this is all an act. Maybe Could she's be. doing this on purpose. Could be. You don't know. Yep. You don't know. But, but it's about what, winning. It's it, about winning though, right? You gotta win before you can change the things. Youngest, she she's now the youngest member of Congress. And yep. you know, twenty eight years old, first yeah. female that age. And uh every other day, I, even now, she's running her mouth threatening impeachment of Trump and threatening this and Trump's a crook, Trump's a racist, yep. Trump's a yep. bigot. Yep. And uh, you know, people can scream and, and scream, We elected her. We didn't, I guess, but New York, that district up there in New York uh did. Yeah, I mean, look, I just think we underestimate these people to our peril and we better. I, I just I had a gut the other night. Just this came to me about old work and I thought about this and I, I did. I said, you know, uh, Cruz beat him fairly decently, but it was a lot closer than I think most people thought it should be. And oh, I just yeah. think it's a it's a harbinger of things to come for this guy. Absolutely. Well, we can we can look at Acacia Cortez and say she's dumb, she's stupid, but is that effective? Are like, are we are we going to be winning people over with that? What we should be doing is looking at Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and going, "Well done. How did she, how the hell did she do that? Great how did she do that? I mean, this isn't. We're not sitting for the SATs here. You're allowed to look at what the person next to you is doing, and if it works, do it yourself. Like, you know, this isn't a high school exam. You're allowed to look at what somebody else does and say, you know what, that's not a bad idea. Maybe I should do that. Or we can sit back and, you know, have this kind of faux confidence like, 
<clears throat> I mean, why are we confident? Are you do you do you think that like you know millions of people in America are going to sit there if as long as you say that you know free healthcare and free university is a dumb idea? Do you think most you know millions of Americans are just going to believe you? Of course not. Why millions of Americans unfortunately are not educated in the finer points of political philosophy and capitalism. Now you can blame you, we can, and then we can say, well, that's the teacher's fault. That's fine. It might be the teacher's fault, but that's not going to make a difference when people are in the ballot box. That's the main thing. That's the game. Now, Beto O'Rourke, you know, he he would be. I reckon the Democrats are looking at him like he's some kind of hero. Of course, there's yeah. there's factional issues. So whether he actually gets on a ticket or not in 2020, it might come down more to the old school Democrats where their power base is in California. So we're talking Schumer, uh, Schiff, Pelosi, Waters, these kinds, who just so happen to be like all of the figureheads on all of the committees. Isn't that the strangest thing, right? How did yeah, that happen? Crazy. How did that happen? They're all Californians. What a, what a miracle. Um, <clears throat> they might be trying to protect themselves against, you know, the progressive wing like that Ocasio-Cortez represents Bernie Sanders, Beto O'Rourke, Gillum, uh, the young lady in Georgia, Stacey Abrams. They might be trying to guard against this revolution that's happening in the Democrat Party. But the reality is for them, unless they also, like the Republicans, figure out how these people have been so effective in the last couple of years, they too are going to go by the wayside. They'll get primaried. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so, they will. It's really a new battle. We need to we need to get our heads around what's happening out there. You know, it's it's not it's not good enough anymore. I wish it wasn't the way, Chris. You know, mate, I, I wish it wasn't this way. But it's not going to be good enough anymore to just be right. You have to be right and sell it. You know, she for and again, like you know, I don't want to keep going back to her, but for all of Acacia Cortez's failings, and I'm not I'm I'm not giving her compliments here. I'm just analyzing the reality of it. There's a I, lot I of. Get you, boo. I get you. There's a lot of PT Bartonum about her. I mean, we said the exact same thing about Donald Trump. He's a hell of a salesman. You know what? I don't even. A lot of Republicans would say I don't agree with a lot of things that Donald Trump says. But damn, I couldn't stop voting for him. I had to vote for him. That's that's what he did. That was the beauty of it. The Democrats obviously watch this and they've learned from it, and now they're going to take it to the next level. So, what are you going to do? What are the Republicans going to do now? How how are we going to how are we going to meet them? What's the plan? Because if if the if the midterms are anything to go by, I'm not saying that voter fraud didn't happen, but if the midterms are anything to go by, here's the thing for you. We were talking about it before. Uh, in the swinging districts, Chris, the the Democrats ran very good candidates, and very good local campaigns. They were running Republican light candidates, the fake populists. Yeah, the fake were. populists were there. The Macrons. They were all cheese eating surrender monkeys in the in the, in the right. purple districts. They were all they all Manuel Macron. We care about the workers. We want action on climate change. And oh my God, I can't wait to vote for this Democrat. That's what they did it very effectively. So what are we going to do? How do you how do you turn? You know what I mean? Like Donald Trump can't do everything on his own. He's pretty good at what he does, but this is not a one man show. He needs a team. Yeah, yes, you've got to be on the team. I've said that too. Well, they should hire Boogie and Chris to come run the RNC. That's what the <laughs> hell they should do. What the hell are you talking about? What are they going to do? They need to hire us, buddy. Yeah, I, I got a little worried about our Cortez the other day when I heard her talking and she said all these illegal immigrants need visas. And then after that, she said, I think they need MasterCards too. Bop, 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 bop. Yep. Okay. <laughs> That's a bad joke. Uh, boogie laugh. Um, anyway. Oh, Lord have mercy. Boogie, our time is up. God, I wish we had another hour. We're going to get you back soon, buddy. Whatever you do, let's maybe in a week or so get together because I want part two of this. I want to talk about 
we didn't really have a chance to talk about Bush 41 and some other things. But I think this was needed, Boogie, I do, because I think 2020 is now. We are already in the 2020 election yep. season right now. It's already started. And I think that we had better start wising up now and getting our game plan and, and war paint on for uh, President Trump's re-election. It's going to be a fight. It just is. And uh, I will. I, I tell you what, give me, I'm going to let you take five minutes. I do want you to just chime in on your thoughts about the passing of Bush 41. Also speak to me about what you think Michael Flynn's uh, getting no jail time means for the whole Mueller probe, which is a corrupt probe. But uh, a lot of interesting things going on. But give me give me your thoughts on Bush 41 real quick, because uh, we do. Uh, we did bury him on Wednesday the 5th. And uh, that's a, you know, a closing of a chapter in American history that is now closed. But uh, tell me what your thoughts were. Sure. Well, my my first thought is uh, I may offend some people uh, because, you know, whilst I do see the virtue in, you know, um, you know, let's pray for the guy's soul and and that's and that sort of caper. I, I'm I'm more on the side of uh, pray for the enemy once they've been vanquished, but beforehand, uh, <clears throat> you know, you don't pray for the success of your enemy. So, um, and judgment will, you know, he's in God's hands now. So, um, you know, whether whether he was a good guy or a bad guy, and again, this is this is kind of we're getting dragged into the personality thing of it. I, I've heard I've heard stories, Chris, and I'm sure you've heard the same of people who worked very closely under Bush who disagreed with him immensely when it came to politics, who all said he was the most wonderful, personable guy I've ever I've ever met in my exactly. life. Exactly. Now, exactly. now, see, the problem is like so things things that I personally get upset about, like for example, uh, you know, he he engineered the rolling back of a lot of the work that Ronald Reagan did in in regards to taxes. Yeah, you know, he was he the did. guy. He was the guy that pushed it back towards Bill Clinton. He he arguably, with his work just on taxes alone, gave Bill Clinton an underarm over the plate to hit out of the park. You know, yes, he did. people can say, oh, Ross Perot, uh, arguably, because Bill Clinton was actually the one, remember, he was like saying, oh, no, we need more tax cuts and stuff. You know, Bill Clinton was very like, you know, he was uh, back then, you know, the moderate Democrat, the blue dog Democrat, he was more in the Reagan-esque mold than George W. Bush yeah. was in a lot of respects. In a lot of ways. Exactly, Boogie. That's right. So, That's right. Know, arguably, he handed it to Bill Clinton. So you can be angry at that. But, you know, I... I, again, I, I'm not. I'm not speaking ill of the guy, but I'm certainly. You know, he's not. He's not related to me. He's not. You know, to steal a line from the feminists and the Antifa types, Chris. Not my president. So I guess I've got a free. <laughs> I guess I've got a free hit. You know, I am That's a foreigner. True. That's true. I, I, I am a foreigner, so you know, it's a different well, thing going on there. <laughs> but I'm going to be honest with you. I've been very respectful during this time of mourning for his family. But there's, we've got shows coming up, and I've got people coming that have got a lot of information and a lot of confirmation, and some of the things that's going to be said is not going to be flattering to the ex-president. Yep. But we're not doing it to disparage his service, but I think he's the face. He became the face of the deep state at the end of this, and that's our goal is to get the deep state out of America and get the it's deep true. state out of control of this country, and uh, that's how I feel about it. And uh, speaking of the deep state, I, I just w next program we're going to have, you know, we're going to dedicate the next one to Mueller and this whole Russia thing. Sure. Um, I got a feeling this Russia thing is going to last longer than, you know, um, anything we've seen in this country. It's, it's going to be terrible. Buddy, I appreciate you and I uh, uh, hope you stay safe down there. This has been really, really good stuff, Boogie. I knew it would be. It always is when you get, get together with us on the program. 
and uh, hope to have you again here soon. Now, I, I got to ask this. Uh, now, what do you Australians do for Christmas? Do y'all celebrate it like we do? Do y'all get drunk? I mean, do y'all smoke reefer? Uh, what do y'all do? Hang from chandeliers? Do you put mistletoe over your head? <laughs> and dance naked on the ocean out there. Do y'all do skinny dipping stuff? I mean, I've heard all sorts of crazy rumors uh, of stuff you all do down under at Christmas. I'm just curious, you know. Well, obviously we get drunk because Christmas is on a weekday or a weekend. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. So, you know, of course we'd be getting drunk because we would be getting drunk every other day. Uh, we we beat we beat away, Chris, from our Christmas ham, the eight-foot-tall spiders who eat men whole. <laughs> We in the morning we enjoy uh, a bit of hay. We feed the kangaroos, which we ride to work on a daily basis, of course. Okay. Uh, no, but Christmas down here, in all in all seriousness, it's very very hot here. It's the middle of our summer, as you can imagine. So, right, um, right. you know, so it's a lot of cold. Like people do a lot of cold lunches. So like cold cuts, uh, not cold cuts. That for you, that's steak. Uh, like cold deli meats, um, prawns, this kind of thing. We'll do a pork roast or something like that. Get okay. the crackling off the top. And then, yeah, some beers in the sun sitting around the pool while the kids play in the park or something like that. It's very different. I have heard from Americans and Europeans, though, which does make me a bit jealous because I think they're right. Uh, They say there's something – Christmas in Australia, it's just not the same without the snow. You know, it's just not the same without the jingle bells. But we do have our own version here, and we're we're really proud of it. So it's not all bad. Y'all do the 25th, right? Y'all celebrate the same day? (laughs) <laughs> it's the same day here. <laughs> I, I just ask it. I was just asking, you know. There I, is, I, I, although I have to tell you, there is a big cricket game on here every year on Boxing Day called the Boxing Day Test Match, which is played in front of 90,000 people in Melbourne. So uh, oftentimes Australians won't say two sleeps till Christmas. They'll say three sleeps till the Boxing Day <laughs> Test Match. <laughs> <laughs> Only down under, Boogie Bar. And only down under, man. Hey, it's been a pleasure, buddy. We'll have you back before Christmas. We're, we're going to get you back on. Um, and uh, me and Boogie will be rich, famous, and good-looking by then. Hopefully, that's what I'm asking for Christmas, right? And smart, too, right? I think that's the fourth thing we were joking about. We're not. Smart, good-looking, rich, and famous. That's our Christmas wish list for me and Boogie. But Boogie is still going to be in the dark. Chris will still be in the light. So that should tell you everything you need to know about Chris and Boogie. So uh, anyway... <laughs> We're, uh, we're both we're both you. we're both going to order Acacio Cortez's new book, Getting Smart About <laughs> Politics, Real Good. So you know we can't <laughs> wait for that. We're going to be there. Isn't that the truth, bro? Isn't that the truth? They, they should hire us, Boogie. They should hire us on the Republican Party. They never leave another election. I'm telling you, man. All right. God bless you out there tonight. We hope you've enjoyed this discussion with Boogie. I have, and I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been a little inspiring, and uh, I, I appreciate Boogie's insight. I really do. God bless you guys out there. We do appreciate your support of the Mac Files. www.paypal.me slash the Mac Files or .com slash the Mac Files. Find us on that and Patreon. Boogie's also got a Patreon page. And look, folks, these shows, uh, Boogie's show, uh, the Tav show, the Pirate Show, the Mac Files, we cannot do this without your help. And I know Boogie will agree with this. Absolutely. This is this is not a hobby to us. This is our calling. This, this is not something that we just, you know, do when we feel like it. This is a nonstop. And my show is every night. I mean, and 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 look, I know a Boogie can tell you, be even putting a weekly show on is tough. You, you try putting a nightly show on every single week. It's, it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do it as a labor of love. But your donations help keep us going. And and I'll just say that. We don't ask for money a lot, but we're asking you, you know, with the holidays upon us and 
the season that's here. Uh, not so much to, we're, we're needing money for the show, not for us, but the show needs your help. And I know Boogies does too, and we just encourage you to support him as well and so forth. By the way, I should ask you, are you looking, or what What do you want for Christmas? I, if I, had, I would have to send it on the 5th to get it to you by the 25th with the mail service. It would take <laughs> them about four blanking months to get it to you. So you'd get it by Easter, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. As, as long as your name isn't Sayok, then I don't mind what you send me in the mail. It should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Only Boogie Bubber right here. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter. And again, follow him, follow him on StreamMe and other media outlets. He's a good guy and he's a good friend. And I've really gotten to know him and James Well this last year. And always a pleasure, buddy. God bless you out there. God bless this great nation of America. God bless. President Trump, God bless Australia. And God bless you out there tonight as well. Have a good night, everybody. Till tomorrow, same bad time, same bad channel. Thank you, Boogie. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. Good night, everybody.